in modern society, we can control most of our lives, really. Like, it's kind of amazing how much we can control. Like, I can control the food I eat, like, to a ridiculous degree. And I think there's very little in life that we can't control when things are going pretty well, because we've taken all this amazing technology we have, and we've used it to increase our comfort. This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hey, I'm Drew Dixon, Chief Content Nerd. I love that nerd, and I'm joined with Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. Hey, I'm Chris. Um, this is Humans of Gaming. If you haven't listened before, we're glad you're here. And this is a podcast where we have uh, people that are making games or people that are involved in the games industry. We we get them on here, and we just want to get to know them as people. I think a lot of times it's easy for us to just you know consume games as some kind of media or escapism or something. And we forget about the blood, sweat and tears and everything else that goes into making them. So we just like to get to know people and hear what makes them tick. And we like to talk to them about what they believe without any pretense of like, or expectation or debate. Like there's no wrong answers. Yeah. Just who are you? What do you believe about the world? What do you believe about God? And like, have that be okay. Like to, for it to be a safe space where people can just say what they think and what they believe and, we really actually get to know people. Yeah, we've never had anybody storm out, so that's yeah. that's pretty good. Give us some time. <laughs> Give us some time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so how are you, man? Oh, I'm, I want to hear from you. Oh, I'm doing yeah. really great. Uh, this is our first show uh, of the of the new year. We've been kind of on a hiatus, yeah. but uh, we're gonna actually be trying out this new format for humans of gaming. So what our plan is for this year is to do three 10-episode seasons. Um, And each season, we're kind of hoping to have sort of a theme for each season. So uh, tell the good people what our theme is for this first season. Our theme for this first season is going to be we just want to chat with women in the industry. So the gaming industry is still like dominated, unfortunately, by men about 75%-ish yeah. of people in the games industry developers are, 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 are men. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times that's who gets the press, that's who gets asked questions, that's who gets talked to in this industry. And it also, I um, think, it, it limits the perspective of the kinds of games that are being made when you yep, don't absolutely. have more representation from other people, then that obviously limits your scope. So it's exciting yeah. to hopefully get more broad perspectives. So we get cooler and more broad games, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the audience too, for games is pretty broad. It's pretty diverse. Now um, we think of it as a male hobby, but that's not what the statistics say. So statistically, I mean, 40 plus percent of gamers yeah, are, almost, are, are women. So it's almost 50, 50 split. Yeah, yeah. So it's not um, that's not even true uh, anymore of the games industry. Uh, just what people think, um, and also 
like one of the things we've always said on this show is that we want to celebrate a diversity of perspectives. Um, and if we're honest, we haven't done a great job of that. Like, I just want to sort of be vulnerable and say, we, we say that, but we don't do it. And so we're trying to put our money where our mouth is and do that. Um, I think, you know, because there's so many men in the games industry, it's easy to just, those are the ones that we think are, we assume those are the people that are available, but honestly, to, to chat on this podcast, mm-hmm. but honestly, we, we should do more. And so we're trying to do Here that. we are. Um, <laughs> we're trying. Yeah. So, yeah, so we can, we can say we, 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 we celebrate diversity or we can just try and do it and just have, just force ourselves to have lots of conversations with amazing women in the games industry. And so that's, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And we so had, this week we're uh, having a, yeah, we had a really good conversation on this show with, uh, with Amy green and yeah, I mean, you can tell people where they would know her from Drew. Yeah, so the main thing people will know Amy Green from is that she designed that Dragon Cancer along with um, Josh Larson and and her husband, Ryan Green. Um, And so it's a game about their son's struggle with brain cancer. Yeah. And um, how they suffered through that. And eventually they lost their son to cancer and kind of during the development of it. And so it's a powerful game. Um, but they're also working on a new game called uh, Area Man Lives that sounds really cool, and Amy talks about that as well. Um, and also just talks really openly about her faith and her struggle yeah. with God and like, you know, how losing her son to cancer impacted that, but then also like how her faith impacts everything she does and what, and, and what she believes. And um, Amy's yeah, like, really she's a, and you kind of, uh, um, started complimenting her at one point in the episode, but like, she's a very, she's like, she's, she's a good at the, she's good at the talking just like me. <laughs> um, yeah. and, yeah. and really just inspirational and authentic, I think is, mm-hmm. is something that I, has just drawn me to, to them as a studio and them as people like just love the authenticity with which they're, you know, making games. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, before we jump in, though, we wanted to tell you about a couple things. And one of those things is our Fellowship of the Nerd. Now, if you haven't heard about this before, um, Love Thy Nerd, you know, we're a nonprofit and we only exist uh, because of the people that generously partner with us every month that give us money. And we're so grateful for this group of people. I mean, I. We couldn't do this. We wouldn't be able to sit here and, and talk into your ear holes uh, if it wasn't for these folks. And you can be a part of that too. If you go to lovethynerd.com slash partner and you want to help us do what we do, if you appreciate what we do and, and you want to see us do more of it and do better at it, um, give us a dollar a month. Give us $5 a month. Give us a million dollars a month. Um, whatever it is that, that you think you know you can attach the value to, we're... We'd love it, and we're super appreciative of it. And you get access to a secret group on Facebook where we share stuff we don't share anywhere else, uh, different perks and, and information and all kinds of stuff. So, so yeah, think about it. Yep. And none of the stuff we do is free. Like, it takes up our time. It takes up our energy. It takes up our money. We pay for this podcast to be produced and for uh, the hosting and all those kinds of things. So none of this is possible without the people that are currently in the fellowship of the nerd we want to expand it we want to do more we have a lot of dreams we just had a big retreat where we um 
planned and dreamt about what we want to do through Love Line Nerd. So if you're into that, like, help us. We can't do it without you. Uh, I want to mention, too, uh, that this is this podcast is one of many podcasts that we now do at Love Line Nerd. Um, and I want to tell you about one of them. We have a new podcast called Church Nerds. And so in Church Nerds, Bubba Stalkup and his wife, Anna, um, tackle a topic about Christianity and nerddom. Yeah. Um, and it's probably our most explicitly like Christian podcast. Yeah. Um, and so if you are a Christian who's into ner- nerd stuff, video games, um, board gaming, uh, anime, uh, starting a, you want to think about how to start a game night in your church that's the kind of things they talk about on the regular in fact there's an episode episode three that's how and why to start a game night like in your church or in your community boom um and why that how that can be actually a type of like way to love and serve your neighbors so it's really good uh, they have a great rapport probably because they're married and stuff but uh, <laughs> they're fine <laughs> uh they're they're natural yeah, uh, natural podcasters. Yeah, um, and so they have really soothing voices too. They're just oh, easy yeah, to listen yeah. to. Much better than mine, you know. Hey, come on, man. Yeah, I could listen to people like like Bubba and Anna and Amy Green all day. I know. No, I Amy, noticed you oh. didn't include me in that list, but that's cool. Hey, so <laughs> you have a good voice. Uh, yeah. Um, last thing, follow us. Love thy nerd. Pretty much anywhere. Love thy nerd. Com. Love thy nerd. Social media stuff. Go find us. We love to talk to you. Um, but I think we should just jump into this this chat with Amy Green. So hope you guys enjoy. What are you uh, What are you up to these days? You know, uh, right now. I'm excited because we're working on a virtual reality game called Area Man Lives, and we are just having a blast doing it. Like, this is such a fun project, and I haven't always gotten to work on really fun projects, so that's (laughs) what I've I've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. What in particular is fun to you about this project? Like, what do you love about it? So, Area Man Lives is is totally a narrative-focused game, which I like anyway because I'm the narrative designer. So anytime my job at Numinous gets to feel like the most important job in the whole team, like that mm-hmm. makes me happy in general. Um, and in life, like when I feel really important in life, that makes me happy. Don't we all? Right, yes, yes. I actually love to feel irrelevant. <laughs> That's really fun. That's a clever take on kind of a He's kind of a nihilist, you know? <laughs> You'll have to let me his, know how that works out for you. It's kind of his thing. Yeah, that's actually like not true at all. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Area Man Lives is like this really just kooky, bizarre, hilarious, zany. We call it zany a lot. Oh, we also call it quirky. When we're hey, zany. It. That's a word we got to use more. I love that word. I love words that sound like what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Not like an automatopoeia. I think that's different. But a word like zany, like that sounds like what it is, you know? Isn't that what an automatopoeia? No, Isn't I, that the very definition auto, no, no, of No, I think an automatopoeia is like bam, right? That's an automatopoeia. That the word actually is the sound. And the sound. Is the sound. So you're saying zany feels like what it is. Yeah, okay. As opposed to sounds like what it is. Okay, Mr. Editor-in-Chief, <laughs> I get it. I think shenanigans <laughs> totally sound like shenanigans. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah, I, Amy gets me, Drew. 
What the heck? Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm just trying to clarify. It's a feel. It's a feeling thing. I totally yeah. get it. Shenanigans does feel like silly, right? And zany does too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, the game's zany. It's a little, zany, <laughs> it's a little quirky. There's a lot of shenanigans. Um, no, Area Man Lives is a lot of fun because it's a, it's like a radio drama. Um, so, but the whole thing takes place in the radio station. So instead of like in a normal radio drama, you're out in the world, like in your car or listening on headphones while you're doing other things. In this game, you're in the radio station. You're the temporary fill-in DJ for the day. And it's actually the world around you that starts to play out inside the station as a radio drama. Mm. Um, And so it's actually a reboot of a game that we released a few years ago as an episodic game. It was going to have four episodes, and it was on the Google Daydream headset. But the Google Daydream headset went the way of of all the Earth. It has... (laughs) It has gone the way of the dinosaurs. Wah, wah. Um, I know. Um, but I was going to ask you that because I remember, you know, talking to you guys a few years ago and you were talking about that game. Yeah. Well, we always loved it. Like we love. Yeah. And so I think sometimes, you know, you have a project and your funding gets canceled and you just let it go and you move on to other things. And we moved on to other things. But I think this one just kind of held on to us a little bit. So. Um, you know, three or four years later, we were still thinking about it and talking about it and wondering if there was a way to finish this story. And then we teamed up with Cyan and that has been a blast because Cyan has such a cool community of fans who, you know, love all the Myst games and the Riven and all the, you know, just all the puzzle games and, and they're people who will look for meaning and will search for connections. And that's really what Area Man Lives is all about. Um, they're kind of like the perfect audience for this game. And it's just infused a lot of new energy into it as we've kind of added some new puzzles and we're actually building out a um, alternate reality game. And that has been a blast for me working mm. on the ARG because usually I'm the writer and I come up with all my ideas and I write them out. And then I wait a million years for the programmers to like turn them into something. <laughs> but with the ARG, programmers are the like, worst. Oh no, this story's happening in real time right now. So I feel like this. This cyan marriage with you is like made in heaven. We are so excited about it. Like we've, we've known, I mean, cause we've been working with them for oh, about, I don't know how long anymore, six months, nine months, a while. And we couldn't tell anyone it was so hard because, yeah. yeah. Because, like, nobody knows who Numinous Games is. I mean, some people do, but it's not like we have this, like, wild fan base that's so jazzed. But I can turn to people who haven't played a game since 1995 and say, hey, you know Myst? And most of the time, <laughs> I'm like, we're working with yeah. those guys. Nobody's yeah. <laughs> well, I do think, though, that um, I think you're selling yourself short a little bit because I feel like that Dragon Cancer left an indelible mark on the industry. Like, I don't think it's household um, vernacular for the average person. Like, I think more people outside of games maybe know about, like, Mist and Riven. Those are sort of, like, seminal puzzle games. Um, But I think in terms of the video game space in general, like, that Dragon Cancer kind of... um, was pretty groundbreaking in a way dealing with things that people hadn't really thought you could deal with in in an interactive space yeah in in a virtual space and i think we're still learning 
just how profound an impact it had for people. Um, it's one of those things that's tricky because, you know, you get a certain level of press or you win certain awards and you start to think, oh, everyone's heard of that drug and cancer. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you very quickly figure out that that is not the case, that there are people who love games, care passionately about games and have never, never heard of your game. And that's fine. Yeah. But then I think you can slip to the other side where you start to think, oh, maybe like maybe it was just something that was critically acclaimed, but the rest of the world really doesn't know about it. And and I think that we're just kind of several years out now starting to see that like, oh, for the people that this mattered, it mattered a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, certainly not everyone has heard of it, but there are people for whom it was it was really impacting and it and it made a difference. And so that's a beautiful mm. thing that we we get to discover over and over again, that there'll just be little moments where someone will reach out and and we feel surprised and grateful all over again that we had a chance to make that game. So that brings up a question that I like to ask designers a lot. Maybe I kind of, this is kind of a weird question to ask you because of the way that you entered the industry. Um, but why do you make games? Like what motivates you to do this? Yeah. So um, my husband was always the game designer. Um, I never thought of myself as a game designer or even particularly interested in the video game world necessarily. Um, and then we started talking about creative ways that we could express what it was like to raise our son with terminal cancer. Um, and a big part of it for me was telling the story to our sons because at the time they were really young. Um, they were three and five when he was um, first declared terminal. And I didn't wanna just tell them your brother's going to die um, because I wasn't sure that that was true. Like we'd seen all kinds of miracles and we were still praying for him and we had faith and I thought, man, God can do anything. So I'm not going to mm -hmm, tell mm -hmm. that this is over before it's over. And at the same time, I didn't want them to be totally blindsided, um, yeah. and have no idea what we were facing and one day just be surprised because we hadn't been honest with them. And so I started figuring out with them kind of how to tell this story with multiple possible endings. Um, and that idea intrigued me a little bit. And Ryan and I were talking about it. As, as the story kind of progressed with my sons, we told them a bedtime story about Joel being like a baby knight fighting this dragon called Cancer. And um, we'd always tell a little more of the story, but we'd leave the end kind of open-ended so we could end it however we needed to in the moment. And as we talked about this strange world we were living in and how we could express it artistically, at first I was like, well, maybe it's like, a DVD, like a movie we make, but the DVD menu option has different endings so that parents could choose whatever ending they wanted. And I think it just shows how how unfamiliar I was with the game space that I was kind of trying to <laughs> yeah. think about how do I create a, a narrative? What if we make a laser disc? Yeah, in a movie. And... <laughs> and my husband's a now you're talking. right? So he's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this sounds like a video game. And so, I mean, that's just kind of how much off my grid this was and and he would kind of talk about it in terms of well maybe for this game jam he'd, he'd create this scene from the hospital of the night that joel was dehydrated and i i kind of famously now told him i thought that was a horrible idea um, <laughs> that no one would play it that that's not what a game is i mean which is funny because that's actually all the criticism that we got from people who didn't really understand yeah it's what i was gonna say like that's um the way a lot of gamers think I think, yeah, you know, games are supposed to be fun and empowering, and that doesn't sound uh, either of those things. Like at <laughs> first, at first glance, right? right? Right. No, it is not the escape that we are looking for. It is not um, entertainment. Um, 
And and so Ryan had to introduce me to the world of indie games and some of the some of the games that are out there that are more thoughtful and mm-hmm. and that are more like indie film, which I will not say I'm I was ever a huge fan of indie film. <laughs> so so it was a stretch for me. I was like, oh, like those boring. So is there something that he introduced to you during that time that was influential and sort of opening your eyes to what games could do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think he just talked to me more in terms of like the concepts of games like Depression Quest or um, okay. Papa and Yo. Like our game, I don't feel like is a lot like Papa, Papa and Yo, but, mm. I, but I love it. I love yeah. I love that that game is fun to, that game feels like a classic allegory game to me. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt like allegory is very rich for, for Christian video games. Um, yeah, if you'll buy into the allegory of that game, that's really powerful. That was one of the first, right? Like, in terms of the empathy game kind of mm-hmm. genre. Yeah, I think so. They kind yeah, of blazed the trail a little bit. It was one of the ones that, that, that opened up the possibilities for other types of those games yeah. to exist, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And games like Papers, Please, there's just a few that, that I started to kind of understand, okay, some really hard topics are being explored yeah. As we think about this as an expressive medium and not right. like entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of our listeners who don't know, like Papo and Yo was allegorical of a, it's a platforming puzzle game, mm-hmm. but the allegory that it's playing with is that of a son's relationship with his alcoholic and abusive father. So it's yeah, just easy, easy stuff. Lightweight, super lightweight, easy peasy. But I love that um, the way it's designed. Like my kids could play that whole game and never really look beneath the surface and just enjoy the puzzles. Oh, and sure. Mm-hmm. And eat, 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 eat yeah. Frogs. Um, but then for someone who, who digs a little deeper, there's a whole different message there. And there's something profound about seeing it through this other lens. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I just think that was done in a really powerful way that it makes it mm-hmm. accessible to different kinds of audiences. Yeah. And I remember when it came out too, the reception of it was really divided, I kind of, in a way. Like there were people that praised it for the metaphor landing. And then there were also people who were like, yeah, okay, the metaphor landed got that but but like the controls were a little bit janky here and <laughs> like yeah. the, um you know like frame rates and just all these things that we get hung up on is we've sort of in a way been trained to get hung up on um and i remember i read an article about how those kind of reviews of the game were missing the forest for the trees you know well, yeah um and we got some of that same criticism i was gonna say that, you you have no idea what that's there. like amy right um, and some of it was amusing in a way because like, so there's a scene in that dragon cancer where you're like in a go-kart and you're racing around these hospital wall, hospital hallways. Um, and the go-kart is a wagon. Cause that's why at the children's hospital, all the kids ride around in these wagons. And so you just kind of get into it, right. And you're going around, you're collecting all the power-ups and things. And then at the end of this go-kart scene, you crash and then it lists all your power-ups and everything you were collecting was like chemo treatments and radiation and like, you just, you kind of like have fun in this moment and then you realize like, oh, like this whole different thing. But we would get criticism that like, well, the controls, <clears throat> the controls for the go-kart weren't very good. And like, it was kind of <laughs> yeah. like, it was kind of uh, jake you couldn't control Can it you even, can you even Mario Kart? Uh, yeah. I mean, come on. And you kind of wanted to be like, yeah, well, the controls in my life in that moment felt like they weren't 
very good. Mm -hmm. I felt like maybe I couldn't control things as much as I wanted to. So it's just hard. I think sometimes where you go, yeah, it was, it was supposed to be a metaphor more than it was supposed to be a mechanic. And that's tricky because we are designed, like you said, to really analyze the mechanics. How well are these mechanics suiting me as a player to achieve my goals? And I think in these kind of games, the mechanics are there as metaphor and how it's how well do they are the mechanics suited to unpack a concept. So that's a totally different way. And I mean, ideally in a perfect game, maybe you'd have the time and budget to really refine them on both levels. But there were some times, so there were some mechanics in our game that were janky. And if we'd had two more months, they could have been a lot smoother. And we totally acknowledge that. But there were some yeah. moments in the game where the controls were supposed to feel limited and it was supposed to feel like it was supposed to feel challenging. So um, in a way that was frustrating, I guess the frustration sometimes was intentional to tell that part of the story. Yeah, and it's really hard for people to, I think it's still, well, I shouldn't say really hard. We're in this weird space where there's, I think now that there, there's a carved out space in the game world for, for what you're talking about. But then there's still this pretty loud contingent of people that are going like, <laughs> no, that's not what games are supposed to be. Uh, sure. Games are supposed to be this or that. Um, and I'm just curious of like, now that you have some perspective that Dragon Cancer's been out for for a while, um, like, has your perspective on? I mean, are you still as passionate now about the power of games as a mode of communicating and communicating something important? Um, about about the human experience. I think that's very much what that Dragon Cancer is, right? It's this very powerful game about a human experience that touches everybody in a in some form, um, and it's very honest about that in a way that I think very few games are. Um, do you still like have your? Do you still have the same level of faith in the, in the medium itself? You know. I do. Um, there are things that we did in that Dragon Cancer that we would probably never do again just because of the state of the industry. Um, so we would probably never again make a short narrative game with a single ending that didn't like that Dragon Cancer, cancer really doesn't branch much um, <clears throat> or really at all. Um, and so I think that that makes it a game that people can watch instead of play which is tricky and sad because I think it's a different experience when you play it. And I've also looked at it and said, this is a really hard experience to engage with. So maybe it feels safer to watch instead of play. Maybe it, there's just that one level of being removed from it. If you're watching it instead of experiencing it for yourself and making choices and, and playing it. So I think it actually served that game well that it could be watched instead of played so i would never again make a game that you could watch instead of play and not feel like maybe you were missing something or maybe like your agency was being stripped from you in a way that it wouldn't be playing it yourself um but that said i i absolutely believe in video games as an expressive medium still and i think part of it because we got a lot of like feedback from people that said, you know, I think the idea that this is a video game is alienating for some people. So what if you called it an interactive narrative? We could have, certainly, but I think that that would have done a disservice to, to games as a medium. I think that we forget that video games are still a very young medium. And 
still kind of like growing it. I mean, it's why we actually, my husband and I and everyone at Numinous loved creating in this space because it's new and it feels like you can still experiment here and you can still help define what a game can be and should be. Um, and so I hate to define it too narrowly while it's a young medium, because if we did that with films or with books, we might only have one kind of film or like one type of book. But I love the idea of saying games can be so much bigger than we've even imagined that they can be yet. So like the more we push the boundaries of what we think is acceptable as a game, the more the whole industry grows. And maybe we push the boundaries in some areas that we later go back and say, yeah, that actually ended up pushing just a little too far and moved into something that really games. Um, but I'd rather push the boundaries really wide and then kind of, you know, shrink back in a little than stay very narrowly focused and never have a chance to, to kind of color outside the lines a little bit of what we experience now in terms of video. Yeah, I remember having an argument with one of my friends about this kind of topic where he was expressing frustration about, remember the Walking Dead uh, Telltale games? I guess they're still around, yeah. although I don't think they're making them anymore. But he was just frustrated that like it didn't matter which decision he made, this particular character like was going to, um, I think it was like going to, like, you know, you, you basically, there were one character died if you made this decision, this other character died if you made this decision, but it didn't really affect the overall narrative and how things played out in the end. And, um, and I was trying to stress to him, like, but no, but you still made that decision. Like, in the moment of making that decision, it was, if it was meaningful to you in the moment, then it mattered. Because he felt like his decision didn't really matter that much, you know. I think that's this thing that we want games to do is to make all of our decisions matter well, to the out to the ending or something. And I but, think we um, want to within games know exactly how our decision mattered. And I think that's funny because in life we make decisions all the time that matter, but I don't know exactly how. Like would if I had been kinder to my husband this morning when he woke up. Uh, would that have profoundly changed my life in some way? Maybe, but I don't get to go back and replay that moment and and try it out a different way and see how it changed. So that was actually something when we were first making Untethered, which has now become Area Man Lives, that we did is we had branching that we never signaled in any way. So um, you, it's a game you can talk to, right? So uh, we use speech detection and you're the DJ and you're talking. And so if you say one thing, something different happens than if you say this other thing, but we don't tell you that. Like the only way you'd know is if you replayed it. So it's tricky. Some people would play it and say, yeah, there was no branching. And I was like, oh no, there was branching. We just didn't tell you when it happened, which on, on one level, I guess is less fun. But on the other level, like I loved it. So I was like, well, that feels like my life that, that I know which decisions in my life are going to have a profound effect and which ones will maybe only change the next 10 minutes. And we don't get to know, and it changes how we live, I think, to not know which moments of ours are going to be changing our future in some way. I think that's nuance. And we don't, uh, we don't always do well with nuance because it's not telegraphed and like, shining bright marquee lights. Hey, you did a thing and here's the results. Like that's what we expect from our games. And I think you're absolutely right. Like pushing these boundaries it, that that is pushing the boundaries and it takes training. I think we have to retrain our brains to, to be able to think differently about those things. And I love that. I think that's a, I, I don't know. I think it, it's when you do find out that those decisions mattered, it makes it that much more rich. I think. 
But I also do think there's something beautiful about making a decision and it just didn't matter the way you thought it would. I don't know why it reminds me of, um, did you guys see 1917? Have you guys gone and seen that yet? yet? I have not seen it yet either. Oh man. So there was, there was something about that movie that first of all made me realize how absolutely easy my life is. Um, but also like uh, the futility sometimes of like decisions we think are just going to be, you know, super impactful or we're going to be praised or whatever. And then it's just like, meh. Um, and I think that's true to life, you know, like sometimes we come up against these things that we think are just going to be completely life altering and then they're just not, or we stress ourselves out about, you know, X, Y, Z and really in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter, you know? So I love thinking about that in the context of games cause it, it's true to life. I'm curious, like what your experience, because you have a bit of a unique entry into the games industry. What's your experience like been as a, as a female game designer in the space? Because, you know, I think current statistics are something like three fourths of people in the games industry, just in general developers are, are male. Um, so it's this still this massively it's, it's changing, right. But it's still, it's massively dominated male industry. Um, yeah. What, what is your kind of, experience sure. so far. Yeah. And you, you made me realize I kind of trailed off and never finished talking about my entry into games. So the, the short version of the long story is that as we started making this game for our son, I kind of did my typical thing where I was like, oh yeah, my husband's making a game. I'll just help here or there. I'll throw out an idea. Yeah. I'm being a helpful wife. Um, <laughs> Real yeah. Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> shining example of a, a helpful, beautiful wife. Um, but then um, and I cared about the game, but after our son died, I started to really care about the game. Like it mattered to me what we were saying and why and how this game would feel because, because this was becoming our son's memorial. And I, I realized I wanted to material or materially participate in it. And so I started to own my role a little bit more and I started sitting in on all the design meetings and, you know, at the beginning of the game, it was really Ryan's thing. And I wrote some scenes in it. And by the end of the game, he and I were making all the decisions together. So by the end of making that Dragon Cancer, I was like, no, I'm a game designer. That's who I am. And so I started working halftime with Numinous Games because we still had four kids and a couple of them were still at home at the time. So I was only doing about four hours a day. And I probably don't ever do more than that because work is hard, you guys. <laughs> Amen. Well, I don't Justify. know why people work eight hours a day. That seems hard. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going for that five-hour work week. Wasn't that a yes. book or something? That's what I'm going yeah. for. Yeah. So I like four or five, maybe six hours a day of game design. And then I like for my brain to to rest and watch TV. But um, so I struggled a lot to even consider myself a game designer. And I don't think it was specifically because I'm a woman. But I do think it's because I'm not technical. I'm not a programmer. I didn't think of myself as being a game designer because I couldn't program. And what I gradually learned as I worked with our team was that because I wasn't a programmer, I thought about things in a very different way than they did. So um, I would suggest something and they'd say, no, we can't do that. It's hard to code. And then I'd ask why, because I have a technical enough mind that they can explain to me, well, if we code it this way, it only works like this. And then I could go, oh, well, what if we did it this other way? 
that we, instead of being roadblocked by the programming, would start to think of ways around it and we'd think of creative ways to do things. And I think it actually made our games a little different and a little more interesting. And I see that across the industry that as um, making video games has become less and less technical because we have tools that are a little less prohibitive for people, um, you start to see a wider range of games because people who think differently are starting to make them. It used to be if you're, I mean, if you're programming on a very base level and you're using ones and zeros, like way back in the eighties, I mean, no one was really using ones and zeros, but (laughs) like the more technical the programming was, the more you had to fit into a certain mold to make the games because you had to be able to think like a programmer to make them. And now I think as people are collaborating with musicians and artists and writers, we're starting to get very different experiences. And I love that for video games. I think it's making games that different kinds of people want to play. And I think that's exciting. Um, but I do think that um, I would not at all say that women are less technical, but there are less female programmers than male programmers. And games still tend to be a little bit run by the programming teams. Um And I'll tell you just in life, that makes me sad. Like um, this was a soapbox moment where I frustrated some friends of mine, but I went to a chess tournament, um, a middle school chess tournament with my sons. And there were 42 participants and 38 of them were boys. And it made me really mad because I, I just sat there and I thought there is nothing intrinsically male about chess. Like, Oh, I remember, I remember this soapbox on Facebook now. I'm remembering. I kind of made people mad. So it stood yeah. out. It just, there was, there's nothing inherently masculine about chess. And our school had this wrestling team. And I remember the coach just went after it and ended up inviting all these girls to join the wrestling team. And he explained like about these female only tournaments and like why wrestling is great for girls. And like in the end, his team was half girls. And I will say that there's a lot that is inherently masculine about wrestling but he overcame the fact that wrestling is inherently masculine in a few ways and found girls and ended up building like half his team out of girls. And they had a great, like aggressive, amazing female wrestling team. So when we went to this wrestling tournament and it's all boys, I thought, well, someone's just made it so girls don't feel comfortable in this space because there's no way all these girls just naturally felt comfortable wrestling, but they had been invited in. And I was like, chess is not, I don't know. It's just a logical game that girls right. love, right? Like girls are technical, logical thinkers. And so I just got sad because I was like, I think this means that the coaches of the individual wrestling clubs at these different schools aren't inviting the girls in. And they're looking around the room and seeing a room of all boys and nothing is making them think to themselves, this feels a little off to me of what's going wrong here. Why don't girls come in this space? And I actually think that's what's happened with some of the, the sciences and some of the technical things um, just in college and, and different programs, because I honestly think a lot of it comes back to the fact that in sports, we had Title IX. Is that what it's called? Nope. Okay. Um, we had Title IX where, where sports were forced to invite women in. You could only have as many boy sports as you had girl sports. Like Girls had to be invited into athletics. And it was a rough transition. I think it took a decade for people to really get it. But now, like, Guys love jock girls. Like they're all about a tough athletic girl. Like they get excited to see girls that are super into sports. And I just think that the academic world has not been forced, like the sports world has been forced to really welcome girls in. And so 
there's the girls that'll knock down the doors and like push their way in, but that's a rough process. Um, and I think that's kind of where we're at with programming is that there are the girls that have made the way for themselves, but no one has gone in and said, look, like this is kind of messed up and let's make it more, more well. Let's do what we can to say that can't we be at least as inclusive as wrestling is, you know? So that's my, that's my soapbox. And then it didn't help Later that day, we went to a fun like science fair at a college and like there were all these really cool science experiments. And in the middle of the room was a table with coloring sheets and it was just all girly coloring sheets. And I was like, oh, right. And the girls don't want to do the science. <clears throat> I was just, like all sad about it because I was like, it's not like there's Legos here for the boys that don't want to do the science. It was just for girls. So that made me sad. Yeah. But I mean, well, it sounds like a starting point for us all is just to sort of like take a step back and acknowledge how much of this is culturally constructed um you know some of these assumptions that we have about like like programming being a a a thing for nerdy guys or something you know um i just i think to see that as whatever we can do to to lift that up as a really viable um like vocation or career path for for young women but also like it's important to acknowledge too what you talked about earlier that game design is not like programming is a important aspect of the final product, but like every we're, we're actually all people. We're all game designers in some way, you know, we've all designed games like on the playground or, um, in with our kids or, or with, you know, just to kill some time between whatever we're doing next, we'll make up a game. Um, so to see, the broader applications of game design too, I think is really important. Um, well, and story is such, I mean, games today, like story is paramount and storytelling, you know, it's not like the people that made Pong didn't need a narrative designer. They just needed programmers and they made Pong, you know, but like, <laughs> that's not, that's not the kind of games we have today. Um, I'm also thinking about, you know, broader, maybe uh, beyond just like working in the industry, but just, it's still constantly people that I talk to is like, there aren't girl gamers. Like gaming is for boys, you know, just in general. Like I was just the other day, um, talking to, to somebody at chase bank, uh, the lady that was helping me with some account stuff. And like, she was telling me these horror stories about playing call of duty and just being harassed, you know, which is like a common thing that I hear. And it's, it's similar to what I think you're saying with, you know, the chess stuff and wrestling. It's like, we're, we're not creating safe spaces for everybody, you know, and And inviting them in in a welcoming way. I think people are starting to work on that. And I, I love that we're starting to work on it. And I think that it's probably a slower process than we realize, you know, to, cause you're talking about changing a whole culture and, you know, from, from playing games to working in games, I mean, just, oh. The whole thing. But I do think it starts with people being very intentional and very invitational. Um, and I guess as a Christian, like, I mean, I think the church has some of the same problems that like you think through, like, what would it mean to invite someone in and make them feel really comfortable if they're very different from me? And I don't know how intentional we always are to go, oh, what would it mean to make someone that, that doesn't naturally fit here feel like they're welcome? Um, and so, yeah, just, I mean, that feels like a human problem, I guess. Just how do we, 
how do we love each other better than we love ourselves? And in the game space, I haven't always seen it, but I'm starting to see it. Like, so there's, there's some amazing programs for women game designers um, that are designed to really like kind of catapult you into the industry. And, and there's exciting stuff happening. I think I was invited to give my Ted talk because I was the female on our team. Um, they yeah. specifically said that wasn't true. But <laughs> I was okay, okay, um, Ted. Well, okay. Yeah, like, we'll, see. well, it was just a funny thing where I was like so excited we get there and it was all women. Um, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, you curated this to be all women, and then man curated it said, oh, I actually didn't realize I did that, I didn't mean to do that. And so maybe he didn't mean to do that, but then that's neat because that means he's the kind of person who probably has chosen to like to be an advocate for people and that he's advocating even without realizing that he's advocating. But that was a cool moment for me because once I gave my TED talk about that during cancer, then I was invited to talk about our game. And before that, all the invitations were mostly for Ryan. And now we get invitations equally. So he still gets invited to talk about the game, but I get invited to talk about the game too. And that's really neat. Um, we so- specifically don't want Ryan on this podcast. <laughs> well, don't, yeah, don't tell Ryan, but... Uh, he's the worst. <laughs> No, definitely not that. But uh, yeah, no, I think you're really a gifted speaker. Like I listened to that TED talk and um, and I watched some of your um, Instagram videos too, occasionally. And uh, like you, you have a real knack for, you're a really good communicator. So um, thank you. It is, I mean, writing and speaking, I mean, that's what I love. I love writing. I love speaking. So it was funny for me at first when I never got invited to speak about it man, this is kind of my jam. I'd be good at this. But Ryan's, Ryan and I are good at a lot of the same things, which is tricky because then we work together and we live together <laughs> and neither of us ever wants to clean up a thing in our home or do the dishes. <laughs> we yeah. both want to be creative all the time. And there's some competition there and that can be tricky. Um, but I think that's part of, I would say even within our marriage, there's been a whole like process of him learning just how much I will limit myself as I would say, even specifically as a Christian woman, that that I kind of grew up with a certain idea that of, of what a woman should be and what a woman shouldn't be. And a woman shouldn't be pushy and a woman should kind of wait to be invited into a process and not like stand up and take her spot. And I don't necessarily believe all of that anymore, but I think a lot of that's a little bit ingrained. And so I think he's learned that that he can't just assume that I'll automatically say what I want and take what I want and do what I want, that he may have to kind of ask me and, and push me forward a little bit. And so, Oh, that's great that he's learning that. You yeah. Know? Cause I think that's yeah. a hard lesson to learn for a lot of men. You know what I mean? Like, oh, like me, if you wanted it, you'd say something. And I don't, I don't know that we've societally been trained that that's okay. And I think this next generation will be different. <clears throat> I think that we're kind of teaching our daughters that like, yeah, go for it. Like, why not? Um, and so I think that'll be exciting to see how it, how it plays out in the next few generations of women. Hey, so yeah. great segue, um, talking about growing up cause we do want to kind of get to know you a little bit and see what makes, makes the old Amy green tick. Um, where did you grow up? Cause you guys live in Colorado now. Did you grow up there? Um, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So Hey-o. yeah, kind of like the, we called it the, the buckle of the, Bible belts. Although I think a yeah. lot of places. Call I them hear so many places say that about <laughs> themselves. Bible belt. So that's yeah. a belt with like booty buckles on it, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. But yeah, I lived there till I was 
six or seven, so not a long time. Um, and then I've been in Colorado ever since. Oh, wow. And so growing up, Christian home, you already mentioned that. Um, what was that like? I mean, was that from day one growing up Christian or was that something your family came into later? Or? Yeah, no, I grew up Christian from the time I was, was itty bitty, like prayed my salvation prayer on a gospel bill record in my bedroom. And, and what is a gospel, gospel bill of record? Bill of because record. I've never heard of that before. Oh, and I have to know. Yeah, no, Gospel Bill was like this <coughs> television show put on by a church in Oklahoma, I think in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, which my son recently told me is a really depressing name for a town. I hear it's the belt buckle <laughs> of the Bible belt. It is. It's like buckle 83 of 124, <laughs> yep. uh, limited edition. Um, no, so they made this TV show. It was called Gospel Bill, and uh, Gospel Bill was the, uh, the sheriff of like a town, and he'd you know, go and solve crimes and, and help people out. But the main thing was he'd, um, he'd always, uh, point out when El Diablo, the devil, like there was, mm. El Diablo yeah. showed up on the scene and he'd teach you how to run El Diablo off with scripture. And I don't oh. know, it was this TV show I always watched, but then we also had tapes. And then there was like this, I think it was a Christmas record I had at home that I'd listened to a million times. And then one day I was like, Oh, I think I want to pray that prayer. I think I want Jesus in my heart. And I think now as an adult, some of that feels a little contrived to me as a Christian. And it's something I'm kind of working out. I think a lot actually after my son died, I've had to kind of just work out my theology and my faith and go back and say, how much of this do I really see in the Bible? And how much of this has become some odd form of theology that I was taught and adopted and like it's there, but only if that you learn from gospel bill. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to say it was gospel bill, but maybe just the whole like prosperity movement. Like I wouldn't have told you that I was a prosperity movement kind of person I that I was like word of faith, which is the same thing. But I think we all would say, well, I'm not, I don't really believe that stuff. And then I just started to look at what I'd believed and why and how. And then I compared it to the Bible and I went, I don't know. I don't know where my theology lands, but not so much where it used to. So anyway, the idea that like we pray this one really simple prayer and then we're saved. Like I just Poof. don't. And you get your ticket yeah, to the promised land. Yeah. I like just don't yeah. do that in scripture anymore. I see a lot of like when you persist in faith, like we have a hope of salvation and that's like, that's scary stuff. Like I wanted it to be <laughs> like an assurance of salvation and I don't yeah. see that it's a lot hmm. in the Bible. So anyway, that's just maybe my own journey that I'm just starting to look at things a little bit with fresh eyes, like just going back and saying, what does the Bible really say about this? And how did it become this other thing that we've all started to believe? And so I don't know, that's been a good process for me. I can see where it And that's a pretty new thing for you, it sounds like. It is a little bit for me. Yeah. I mean, certainly, I mean, I think it all shifted after Joel died because we had seen so many miracles with him that were just unbelievable and, and wild and I wouldn't have said that I was making them happen, but I would have said like, well, because God responds to our faith and he's required to respond to our faith because that's just part of who he is. And I think after my son died, um, I just got a much bigger view of God. And I felt like maybe his best plans for me and for my life didn't necessarily have to be plans I understood and they didn't have to line up with my goals and my dreams and what I wanted out of life. And, and so that was a little bit eye opening. It made God feel, um, a lot bigger to me, but because 
so big. I felt like I didn't really like before I would have said that God was my best friend. I mean, I wouldn't have really said that because sometimes people who say that confuse me. Um, but I love that. I felt like I understood God and I felt like I could just like kind of like I got God and God got me and we understood each other. And after my son died, I was like, I'm not sure I know who you are. <clears throat> the whole different process of going, okay, I think you're bigger than I thought. I don't think I control you nearly as much as I sort of had started to believe I did. And then I wanted to look back at all the things I believed and say, why did I think that? Why did I think I could control God through my faith or through my prayer? Why did I think that it was like, as long as we approach him in a certain way, he's required to respond back to us in a prescribed way? And um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm not sure that that journey is for everyone, but it has been very helpful for me. Well, what do you think? um, What do you think it is about like tragedy that causes us to reexamine those kinds of things? Because I, I think, honestly, your journey, I mean, just what little you've shared and what I've heard before is like, it's very inspiring because I think so many people experience something as heartbreaking as that. And they're like, F you, God, you don't exist. There's no way you could, <laughs> you know? And I'm sure you've had those moments. Um, but I don't know. It, it's There's just something about experiencing those things that, why does that cause us to re-examine those things? I think it's because, especially in modern society, we can control most of our lives, really. Like, it's kind of amazing how much we can control. Like, I can control the exact temperature in my home so that I'm perfectly comfortable at all times. I can control um, the food I eat, like, to a ridiculous degree. I'm not waiting and hoping that like, well, maybe if, maybe if the crop turns out, okay, we might be able to eat this next spring. I can eat anything I want in any moment. If I'm ill or injured, I, I usually have multiple like ways to, to take care of whatever's wrong with me. Like we're just used to we're used to being able to have complete control, which like in video games, we'd say we want agency and we're used to having agency, like where the decisions I make matter and they lead to very predictable outcomes. And I think there's very little in life that we can't control when things are going pretty well, because we've taken all this amazing technology we have and we've used it to increase our comfort on all sides that we're like, oh, like how can technology serve me and make me more comfortable? So we've ended up with these very comfortable, easy lives. Like even when we're broke, we have credit cards, right? So like if my husband lost his job tomorrow and we couldn't find work for four months, we could probably live on a credit card and not even have our life like feel different. I mean, we probably wouldn't, like we'd try not to do that, but there's so many safety nets underneath all of us to prevent us really hard things. So I think hardship is rare. And I think when it happens, it kind of bursts the illusion that somehow we're in control and we've got this thing all worked out. Um, And it certainly did for me. It made me go, oh, I didn't get to choose the outcome because this is not the outcome I would have chosen. And so I think it does make you question like, well, what, what is going on when things happen that are totally outside of my control in life? And I think the fact that that's so rare now that something feels completely outside of your control and something was entirely not based on your own decisions, like those are the tragic moments where I think it does make you go, okay, then if it isn't all about me, what is this all about? And, and if, 
if it's not just the sum of our choices, if life isn't just the sum of each of our choices, what else is going on here? And I think even as a Christian who loved God and believed that like there was a lot more going on than just living for myself, I still kind of got caught up in this power fantasy, right? That like I could control my life through my faith and and dictate the outcomes of my life and skip over tragedy and hardship because God loved me and wanted to bless me. And I think that for me, that was kind of an eye-opening moment. Um, so yeah, I just think that it makes you it makes you look at your life totally differently because you realize that you can't control it. That's a hard lesson for us to learn. <laughs> <laughs> well. And I think it's interesting to hear you talk about it too because I think in some ways... I sometimes default to the opposite of that. Like it can be really easy in our culture as well to sort of sit back and be like, well, um, I don't know. We, we, we live, we live in a culture that is very, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, rational, very, like we expect things to just sort of work according to a certain set of like rules, I think. Um, and so it's easy to sort of think that God's not involved in all these, all the day in and day out stuff of my life. Like, I'm just, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to eat breakfast. Yeah. I'm going to take, um, my kids to soccer practice. Um, and I'm like, it's easy to sort of get into the routine and not think that God's really involved in any of that. Um, so like, I think about people like you who shared the story of like, really seeing God move in these really specific ways and being, and that almost like took you in it, like you almost went too far into thinking like you could control how God would act to move. Whereas I think my struggle a lot of times is to go like, is God like, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to handle all this stuff. Like, is God really connected to it in some specific way? Um, so I wonder how to like balance that, Oh sure. but I don't know. Yeah, no. You probably don't have the answer. (laughs) Tell us, Amy. Fix us. Um, But I do think, I mean, it's this weird thing, right, that God gave us the Holy Spirit and says the Holy Spirit will will lead us and be our comforter and teach us. Like, and that's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to, to stay aware of, right? Like, to constantly say, I have a helper with me today, like, who actively wants to help me and lead me and teach me and show me and remind me of things. Um. And I think that most of the time, my Christian walk is about remembering like, oh, I have this helper. Like, maybe I should try to listen. If I have a helper, maybe I should try to pay attention. And and so for me, like, that's kind of what it's boiled down to for me is personally, how do I listen and obey? Believe, like really believing that God gave me the Holy Spirit. And it's one of those things that like, I would have a tough time proving to someone else that like actively listening to the Holy Spirit was making a difference in my life. Just like I would have a hard time proving in area man lives that the things you said really changed the outcome, unless I could like go back outside of time and let you play it again and see it, which hooray, we can do in a video game, but in our lives, we can't always do that. So it's hard to point to, but I think God does show and confirm and, and he, I think does answer, but like, I had a weird moment actually when my son was sick, where I mean, even when I kind of was still like, we can control how this goes. Like I was always aware, like, but God's timing is perfect. So like, I would love for my son to be healed tomorrow. But what if by waiting a week, like four more people 
hear Joel's story. And then when he's healed, like it changes their life. So I have to wait for God's timing in this thing. So I was kind of aware that there were limitations of what God might do and what might be best. I just always thought like the end result had to be that God would save him. Like, oh, the the story can branch a million ways, but it has to end at point Z, no matter what. And it turned out it ended at point Q and I wasn't expecting that. Um, But in those moments of going, but if I want the most glorious thing to happen, if I want God to do what's really best, then like maybe he can't answer my prayer today that my son's eye, you know, turns back straight from where he had nerve damage. Um, but I so then I like started to feel a lot more freedom in playing praying for like really insignificant things that didn't matter a lot, um, which sounds weird, but I would like pray to get a good parking spot when I had to carry my son into the grocery store and he was heavy and I was tired. And sure enough, I would drive up and get like the best parking spot. But it gave me a lot of joy because I was like, you know what? Because there probably wasn't some better, greater plan that had to play out over months and months and months about this parking spot. Like it's something I could <laughs> ask for and he could say yes and not say, well, I'm trying to refine you. So what would be better for you <laughs> walk those 10 extra steps, like maybe, right? Maybe. But I think sometimes the bigger, harder issues of our life, there really is a lot more going on than we realize. Like the more complicated the issue, the more God may be working out on our behalf that we don't see. So um, all of that to say, like, I think that sometimes I've taught myself to ask God for small things because it helps remind me that he's in this life with me, doing life with me and he's for me and he cares and and that he's involved in my life because I think the small things he can say yes to without compromising like eternal works that he's trying to work out on my behalf and and the ways he's refining me whereas some of the big things I just have to trust like, yeah, I mean, I've asked for months to be healed from from this thing or I've asked for months for this relationship to be repaired and it sure looks like nothing's happening. But if I can see God working in little ways, then it helps me trust that he actually is working in the bigger ways also. That's cool. I really appreciate your perspective because like I think some, a lot of my spiritual formation kind of happened in, a, for lack of a better word, like a Calvinistic kind of context. So... I've spent a lot of time. Calvinists are, that's like once, (laughs) once saved, always saved, right? Oh, I always get it confused. I never remember which is which. That's, that's one part of it. If you want to dig deep, there's these whole five points of Calvinism that I don't. It's tulip. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of it's rooted in this idea of like, God is the one who does the, the saving. So God is in control. Um, uh, there's a lot of people who are Calvinistic and talk a lot about God's sovereignty. And that's more of what I meant uh, when I brought that up is that I sort of, a lot of my spiritual formation happened in a context where it's like, well, God's in absolute control of everything. And like, you know, prayer is less about us asking God for what we want and more about us submitting and like aligning um, ourselves with his will. Yeah, like, God, take me away and you reign and rule over my heart and life. And there's there's some good in that. There's But there's this, there's a lot of good in that and saying, you know, God, you be in control, I think. Um, I say that as a Christian. You know, there are a lot of people listening to this show or not. A lot of people come on the show or not. I want to acknowledge that. Sure. They wouldn't buy into anything that we're saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, I... I I've been having in the last several years to unpack, like, it's good to ask for things. Like, yes, God's in control, but he's also for me 
if if I really believe like the overall big picture story of the Bible, God is on my side. He's in my camp. Like he's not that not that he, not that I'm the most important person <laughs> at all. That's not all what I mean. But he's he's pro my flourishing and he's pro your, pro your flourishing. Um, and if that means asking for a, a parking spot, like I think. I think that's okay, you know? Like, I've had to sort of unpack that that's okay to do. Um, Like, one of the guys on our team, Bubba, recently, he and his wife needed a couch, and they prayed for a couch. And, like, that day, someone offered them a couch, like, out of the blue. And it's, like, stuff like that that I hear that I'm going, like, man, I I need to reevaluate sort of my sometimes, like, just unpack my baggage about the way I think about God's sovereignty. Yes. And don't we all, I just think we all have that baggage. Like mine was from the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Like you kind of grew up in this, like God is totally sovereign and will do whatever he wants, regardless of how we respond to him. And like, I kind of grew up in this, like God's just waiting for our response. And he's, he's like waiting to partner with us. If we move, if we act, if we have faith, if we pray, then he will, you know? And I think that it all just comes from the fact that God is so far beyond what we can even comprehend. And yet somehow we've decided to come up with all these rules and ideas of him and we we define him in human terms and we get annoyed when other people don't define him in the same terms that we do. And it all starts to feel a little silly to me after a while because I go, the only thing we know about God is what he's revealed about himself to us. Somehow we decide to take what he's revealed about himself and like really make make a theology out of it and set these rules and then tell everyone they've got it wrong because they they don't see what we see. I don't know. So I'm just starting, I think, to maybe to embrace the mystery a little bit more and to be more yeah. comfortable with the fact that both are true, that God can be totally sovereign and absolutely want to work with me in every moment. And and that's hard. It's hard because we're limited by our sense of, of timing and we're limited by our sense of what it means to be human and and the life we're living. I think that's one of the things I really love about game design is that you start to think outside of some of those constraints when you're thinking about building a world and you're thinking about timelines. You're like, Oh, I don't have to go in linear time with this game. If I don't want to, there can be other forces at play here and I can decide (laughs) which forces are at play. And, and it just changes how you think about God and how you think about life. um, When you're, when you get the chance to, to play with some of those concepts a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely for sure. Well, uh this has been really cool. Like we're we I would we t- tell our guests an hour right at about an hour here, but it's been really cool to hear your perspective. Um kind of one last question I wanted to ask before we kind of close out here is, you know, you you've and I think this is true of Ryan as well and really everyone on your team also um uh I just blanked on his name. Josh. Um Josh, yeah. yeah. You and Ryan and Josh in particular, the three of you um, sorry, Josh, I just had a <laughs> moment. Uh, it's not you, it's me. Um, but, uh, you know, y'all been pretty vocal about that dragon cancer being rooted in, to some degree in your faith and, um, that the game especially like vocalizes your faith in a pretty raw and profound way, I think, um, and now you're working on a game that's not nearly the same. The, like the stakes are pretty different with this new game. Um, 
but I think you still are very much, I get the sense that you're still very much motivated by your faith and the work that you do. How does that play in? How does your faith now motivate the work that you do? Sure. Um, you know, I think that our faith is always part, part of it because of who we are. Um, and I think maybe even more so now that I would say, I would say Ryan and I would wrestle with our faith now, like before we just kind of lived out our faith in a happy little skipping along sort of way. And I think now we like really wrestle with faith and, and we wrestle in different ways and, and we struggle through it um, in, in different areas. Um, but I actually think that it makes it even more something that we consider in every part of our life. And and I actually kind of like that because if faith is easy and it's one more comfortable thing in my life, I don't have to think about it. Um, but because right now faith can be challenging for us in many ways, I think about it all the time. It's the forefront of my mind because it's a challenge. Um, so I would say that like, I mean, our new video game is not like, you will not hear the name of Jesus in our new video game like you did in that dragon cancer. And it's not a Christian themed game. But for us, there's all these moments that speak to us of faith, because I think in anything we create, there will be moments that speak to us of faith, because for Ryan and Josh and I, our lives speak to us of faith. Um, So when we started creating Area Man Lives back when it was untethered, like it was kind of inspired a little bit by this idea of like all the ways when we were working on that dragon cancer that God just kind of showed us in very subtle kind of coincidental sort of ways in our life that he was with us in this process and that he was, that he, just that we were right where we needed to be and that, that he was there with us. And so Ryan, I'll call those moments God pings. Um, and so uh, this new game, Area Man Lives, has a lot of like pings in it. And I, I wouldn't even say in Area Man Lives, you would think of them as God pings, but we do as we design it. That's how we think of it. But it's really about those moments in your life where where something feels significant and you feel like you're seen and you feel like everything just kind of lined up and you don't totally understand why. And I think that my faith is a lot of like trusting, trusting those moments, like trusting like, yeah, I think God really is trying to show me something here. I think he really is speaking to me. I'm going to trust that God really does speak even though if I wanted to, I could convince myself that he's not, that he's never working, that he never speaks, that he is not here. Like you could go either way in those moments, those coincidences, those God ping moments. And so Area Man Lives is kind of just about a whole community um, experiencing just little moments of connection, um, moments of significance. And what's been really fun for us as we make it is, you know, we're making this game with the most outlandish concepts we can think of because it's a radio drama, right? Like, so I don't have to build the sets of the crazy things that happen in this game. So if we have like a, a, a land kraken, that's awesome. And it can be the biggest in the world because we only have to describe it. And if we have crazy raccoon mechs, which we do, um, like we can just have anything, everything. So we have come up with the most just outlandish concepts we can even imagine and we keep having moments in our normal life where those things come into play in some weird way or we see them or we hear about them or I mean I just at some point after the game's released we'll share all these stories but it's become almost like almost funny how often things are happening in our life that our area man lives so we have a whole channel for it in our discord where the team works where we just like share the moments in our day that we're absolutely an area man lives moment for no reason and <laughs> that's great but it's like just super encouraging especially because this is a game that died and that we've kind of resurrected um 
And so it's fun to go, I think God was always about this game. I think his heart was always for it. I think he's always been showing us that we're working on the right thing, even though it would be easy to go, well, this game doesn't matter. Like, it's just silly. It's just fun. And no one's going to get like saved playing this game. And no one's going to like question what they believe about eternity playing this game. Um, but I love it because it's fun. That doesn't make it less Christian. Right, right. And I just, it's fun to go, I think God loves this game, even though like it's not really like about him at all like for us it is and so I think it's more I guess for us it's more about our hearts and creating the work that we create um you know there are people who make specifically Christian games and there are people who are we know teams that are all Christians that don't make games for Christians at all and and I don't know where we are on that spectrum we're somewhere in the middle like we've got Christians on our team and non-Christians on our team and we make some things that Christians might like, and we make some things that Christians might not care for. And I think it's just about where our hearts are in the process of the game. And, and I think we try to keep our hearts kind of just tuned in, tuned into, to the Holy Spirit, like I said, that just really believing like, huh, God really does love us. And he's in this with us. And he finds ways to speak to us, even if some of those ways are really weird sometimes. Amy, thanks. Thanks for sharing that stuff. Yeah, I just absolutely. love hearing that heart. And I love like, there's just such an authenticity there. I think that above everything else, I could, I mean, we could go on tirades about Christian games and all that stuff, but <laughs> I think people crave authenticity. And that's mm -hmm. always what I've experienced from you and Ryan and Josh and everybody. The games that you guys are making, I love it. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I really appreciate that about that, uh, that about you guys as well. And uh, yeah, anywhere where should people look if they want to follow Fairy Man Lives? Oh yeah, <clears throat> okay. Well, because there's a crazy alternate reality game that is playing out in real time right now. Um, if you want to go on the rabbit hole, like crazy weird journey with us, and you don't want anyone to spoil it for you, then what you should actually do is go to YouTube and search for the Area Man Lives trailer and then watch it and look for a clue and don't read any of the comments. So that's okay. <laughs> want to like actually go on this crazy, weird mystery journey with us. Um, but if you just want to learn about the game, um, then there's an Area Man Lives Facebook page you could follow, um, which I think is just facebook.com slash Area Man Lives. Um, and if you just want to like, know about the alternate reality game, but you don't care if you're discovering it for yourself or not, then you could watch the Airy Man Lives trailer and read all the comments and they will spoil the whole thing for you. And you can jump Yay, in. Yay, right comments. Yay, comments, which is fine. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so that would probably be the best place is to, to follow the Airy Man Lives Facebook page or we've got a Numinous Games Facebook page or you can just follow me. I'm Amy Noel Green everywhere. <clears throat> so on cool. Twitter. Great. Or Facebook or anywhere, I'm Amy Noel Green. I'm even Amy Noel Great. Green on TikTok. And that's that's oh, hey. wow. good job. Yeah, good job. No, this is great. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. I really appreciate Thanks for it. Having me, you guys, yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah.